Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Gay With God podcast, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Or are we still searching? The stories you hear on this podcast will melt your heart and strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible and you can be authentically gay with the God of your understanding. I'm your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. So glad to have you back again. And thanks again for sharing and subscribing and reviewing this podcast if you feel led to do so. I really love it when you show up and you give me your comments so that I know that what we're doing is is exactly what you need. So today I have another great guest for you. We're going to talk today with Nancy Petty. She is the minister at Pullen Memorial Baptist Church. She began there in June of 1992. She has served Pullen in the role of senior pastor since 2002. Prior to being called as the pastor, she served Pullen as the Minister of Christian Education and Associate Pastor. As Pullen's pastor, her role is to function as the spiritual guide of the congregation, performing duties of preaching, teaching, counseling, and visitation to honor the traditions that have developed over the years at Pullen and to to initiate new traditions that capture the theology of Pullen and the spirit of the members. Through her role as Pullen's pastor, Nancy is known as, the, as a community faith leader speaking out on issues of social justice, interreligious dialogue, and inclusion of the LGBTQIA community. She is chair of the Board for Repairs of the Breach, a nonprofit organization that seeks to build a moral agenda rooted in a framework that uplifts our deepest moral and constitutional values to redeem the heart and soul of our country. She is a contributor to several books written on the Moral Monday movement in North Carolina and has been interviewed several times on Frank Stacio's The State of Things WNC program. Nancy's ministry has been recognized by many awards. The 2011 W.W. Finlater Award, Wake County, ACLU, 2013 Woman of Influence Humanitarian Award, 2014 North Carolina NAACP Minister of the Year Award, 2015 Human Relations Commission City of Raleigh Award, 2016 Champions for Children Award, North Carolina Foundation for Public School Children, and the 2018 Neighbor to Neighbor Award as Salem Islamic Center, Raleigh, North Carolina. In September 2019, the Center for American Progress listed Nancy as one of nine ministers to watch in our nation in 2019. She is married to Carla Oakley. Carla works in education reform and is often traveling with her work. They have two daughters, Jasmine and Nora, two cats, Tasha and Leo, and one spoiled Cavalier King Charles Spaniel Lewis. (laughs) When asked what people should know about her, Nancy responded, tell them that I am blessed beyond measure because I get to pastor the best church in the world. Not because it's perfect. It's not but because the people are amazingly authentic and they truly care about making a difference in the world. Tell them that I love what I do and who I get to do it with. Tell them that I love people. I hate flying, but we'll board a plane when it means I get to extend Pullen's ministry to other places. I collect old watches and I deeply enjoy the North Carolina mountains. 
A relaxing day for me is being home with Carla and Lewis and no agenda. But most importantly, I want people to know that what matters to me in life is having the courage to take the risks in life that help those who are struggling and suffering and help me grow in compassion, grace, wisdom, and love for all God's people. Nancy, it is such a joy to see you here and welcome to the Gay With God house. <laughs> thank you so much, Midge, and thank you for what you're doing. Gosh, the difference you are making in this world with your podcast, uh, you know, it's a lifeline to people. It truly mm. is a lifeline. I get to sit and talk with gay people all the time, LGBTQIA plus people, and uh, to know that there are resources out there like your podcast that encourage, that give us strength and support is you can't, you just can't overestimate uh, the value of that and, and the importance of, of what you're doing. So thank mm -hmm. you. My pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, and I'm, I really appreciate you coming because, you know, as a pastor, we hear, we hear ministers all the time talk about, you know, gay people, and it's not always good. And it's amazing how many of those of us in the community go to seminary <laughs> to struggle with the, the whole thing that kept us down for so long and then become ministers or priests or, you know, work in the church somehow. And somebody said to me the other day, because once I got to the Episcopal church, I just wanted to join things. I wanted, I wanted to start serving because I was out of church for so long. And they said, well, you do so much for our church. And I said, well, I said, what I do for the church is out of gratitude for being allowed to be in church, to be welcome in a church, not just welcomed and prayed behind my back, but <laughs> for me right. to change. But yeah. I, it's just, I feel so grateful to be back and to be able to try to, you know, piece together the broken parts that, that happened before that. So I appreciate you being here and being able to share your story and how you got to be a preacher and yeah. you know, your, your journey. So if you're ready, I'm yeah. ready. Tell let's us your story. So just picking up kind of where you were headed and letting left off. So I did grow up in the Baptist church in the Western part of North Carolina, grew up in a small Baptist church. And while it was a conservative church, it wasn't fundamentalist. And I don't remember a lot of in that church growing up of there being hellfire and brimstone, mm. you know, about gay people are going to hell. I, I don't actually ever remember uh, being the, the whole homosexuality in the Bible issue being talked about, but it's. Are you there, Nancy? Me, oh, I'm sorry. I lost you. Hang on, Nancy. I lost you for a minute. <laughs> you never heard a, a hellfire brimstone and then you froze. <laughs> yeah, ne never heard a sermon that I can recall. Never heard any of my pastors preach a sermon like that. Um, and so it wasn't that I was in a church constantly hearing that gay people are going to hell. But, uh, but it's interesting to me that even as a young, a young teenager, um, there was something about my church experience that let me know that being gay was not okay. Mm. And so, because I would say that by the time I was in the fifth grade, I had a pretty good sense that I liked girls. I was attracted to girls. I don't know that I had a name for it, but I, I was aware and I uh -huh. knew. Uh -huh. And so definitely by middle school, I was beginning to put that together. And so 
you know, kind of just this knowing that mm. that from a religious perspective, especially growing up in Baptist life, that that this was a that, Nancy. Can you hear me? I yes. can now. Yeah, I keep losing you. I don't know what's going on with the connection. It says uh, your internet connection is unstable, but I don't Uh-oh. know. That's not usually true here. I'm at my office, but in, <laughs> we'll just keep going here. Okay. We'll going. Okay. So, um, so you know, by the time I was in high school, uh, I felt this call to ministry. I'd say by the time I was in the 11th grade. And interestingly enough, I don't know that I ever thought about like, what am I going to do? I'm gay and I want to go into ministry and how am I going to reconcile that? Like, Mm -hmm. I guess I just, I don't know. I just didn't think about it. And so I went to college, majored in religion, was in the closet all through college, went to a Baptist college, Gardner Webb. um, And so was, was in the closet and, my, along about my sophomore year, I kind of had a moment of realizing that I couldn't come out there. Or I'd be asked to leave school. Oh, wow. Um, and so, you know, just kind of went underground and thought, I've got to get through college, get graduated and, and get out of here, mm-hmm. which is what I did. And um, and by this time, you know, I'm I'm living into who I am. And so, like, I can't be out, but I'm not denying who I am to myself either and so um, I graduate from college and I come to Raleigh to be a youth minister for the summer at a church here in Raleigh a startup church from First Baptist Grace on Baptist Church and you know still very much in the closet but my calling was so strong that like I just kept pressing forward like (laughs) And, and living in the closet. I mean, Uh that's what you did in my generation growing up. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of that summer, the pastor there, that's another story, but we, we took a drive and we ended up at Southeastern seminary. And I said, what are we doing here? And he said, we're enrolling you in seminary. (laughs) And so uh, I said, great. I don't have any other plans. I love school. Seminary sounds great. And so, um, I rolled in seminary and started at Southeastern still in the closet because if, if I had come out, I wouldn't have had a job at my church. And, and I remained at that church while I was in seminary Mm -hmm. as the youth minister. And so it wasn't until my sophomore, my, my second year of seminary, my second year of seminary that, you know, I started really thinking about, okay, Nancy, You've just pretended up until now. <laughs> what's what's your plan here? Okay, what's your plan here? And so, um, because it was getting harder, it gets mm-hmm. harder and harder mm-hmm. to to live two separate lives. Oh, and it, yeah. it's exhausting. It's just mm-hmm. exhausting. And so, um, so I, I decided to cut my coming out story. In some sense, was. I decided to come out in a final exam with one of my professors at Southeastern, Dr. Elizabeth Barnes. She was the only uh, female professor at Southeastern at the time. And she taught systematic theology. She taught narrative theology. And I took every one of her classes that I could. And in one of these final exams, I decided to come out to her. as it, Whatever the question was on the final exam, it gave me 
uh-huh. some space to do that. Uh-huh. So I was so nervous. I'm oh, gosh. Like, <laughs> I, you know, my heart was pounding and like, you're like just sweating and thinking how, what's going to yeah. happen here, but got to do this. I can't keep living like this. And so I turned my, my uh, exam in and several weeks passed and she began handing everybody else's exam back to them and I didn't get mine back. Ooh. And so finally, after everyone had gotten their exam, I'm like, I go to Dr. Barnes and I'm like, Dr. Barnes, do, am I going to get my exam back? And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, you haven't given me my exam back. And she said, I haven't. Um, she says, oh, my, I'm going to have to find it. <laughs> oh, my God, you've got to be kidding me. She's <laughs> lost my exam. And here I have poured my heart out coming out in this exam and she can't find it and who has it and who's read it exactly (laughs) and so um and that few days passed and she passed and she came to me and she said oh I had put it in a book it you know I just it was such a beautiful uh, piece that you wrote your exam and I, I I was really reading it and I must have separated it from others and whatever and so she finally found my exam and gave it gave it back to me And, you know, fortunately, she was one who was just so affirming Mm -hmm. and so accepting and didn't make a big deal out of it. But it was just like, like, you know, her communicating to me the beauty of this story that I had written about and Mm. who I who I am and the struggle in that, um, she just she just affirmed that and and made space to hold it and mm. it you know other than her losing my, my my exam it was a safe safe place for me and she has continued to be really important in my life but it was sometime around that same time that I was walking across campus one day and it was in the springtime and the world was, I, I came out of a class and I, I was walking across campus and I looked up and the world was aglow. Every mm. single thing was on fire. It was mm. the, the light was just magnificent. And mm. I'd never seen the world that way. And, and what went through my mind in that moment, as I looked at, creation and the universe and 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 thought about about myself I thought the the biggest sin that I could ever commit in my life would be to not be who God created me to be Mm. and God created me to be a same gender loving person and I need to step into that and live my most authentic life Mm. And I never looked back from that moment. Wow. There were never any questions for me about, am I okay? Does God love me? From that moment on, it was, there was this just real sense of direction and peace. And like, you just hand it over and be who you are. And so that's kind of my, my coming out. Uh, story. Now, I didn't come out of the closet fully then mm-hmm. because I had to get through seminary <laughs> and I had to find work. And like, so I had to support myself. So my actual truly coming out 
happened much later. Mm -hmm. But that was the initial kind of coming out for me. Yeah. Well, and that that was a coming out to yourself and your own self-validation, I guess. And then after that, you would just have to figure out you know, who else would be in my corner in real life? Because, you know, that's great. God created me to be who I am. Right. And like, now, how am I going to pay the bills? And that, <laughs> that's right. That <laughs> how am I going to support real... myself? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why, you know, making people come out is disrespectful to their livelihood and it's disrespectful to their safety. And we have to be really careful. I mean, I would love for all of us to come out because the first church I ever went to was an MCC church in, um, in Greensboro. And I was floored with what I learned in, in church. I was floored to see people standing outside of the church that looked normal. (laughs) And when I was introduced to them, they were, you know, there was like a lawyer and a teacher and a, you know, and I'm like, wait a minute, (laughs) what about prostitute? And (laughs) I wasn't expecting to meet gay people that, that basically reacted like lived like I did because I was a school counselor at the time. And it it just, it floored me. Um, So then how do you, how do you balance at that point, then you get through seminary, I'm sure, with right. flying colors and great grades. <laughs> well, we got through it. Um, <laughs> no, it was, I, I love, seminary was just amazing for me. So I loved every minute of it. Um, you know, I, I, I left seminary and I went to a church, Grace Song, where I had been throughout seminary was a part-time job. They were a new church. They couldn't afford to hire me full-time when I finished seminary. So I went to this smaller church here in Raleigh, uh, St. John's Baptist Church. Uh, it's here in Raleigh. And uh, I was there for one year, but it was not a good fit. Mm. Uh, I was in the closet, but they were not ready for me. I was not ready for them. And so I quit one year to the to starting. I said, I can't do this. I'm not there. It was just not a healthy situation. Good, good people. I mean, you know, I'm not... Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to out a church that yeah. uh, was not, was not good. They're great people in the church, but it just wasn't a fit. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up at that point going to St. John's Baptist church in Charlotte, which is a much larger church as the youth minister, um, you know, probably had 75 kids in their program. It wow. was huge. Uh, and one of my professors from Southeastern Tom, Southeastern Tom Graves had gone left Southeastern and gone there as pastor when the fundamentalists took over the seminary. And so I knew, I knew uh, Dr. Graves, who was the pastor. And so, um, but I was still in the closet and like knowing full well that if I came out at that church, even though that was a very progressive church and still is, and, and, and they have, done amazing things since my time there in terms of supporting LGBTQI community. But when I was there, had I come out, I would have been fired. No mm. question. Mm. And so again, I was living two lives. I was in a relationship and I would go home and live that life. And I would go to work and live another life. And, and mm. again, I just want to say to anybody who's listening, who may not be gay, that it's exhausting for gay people to have to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's just exhausting, but that's what we do to survive, mm-hmm. to pay mm-hmm. the bills, to, to, to do what we have to do to, to take care of ourselves. And so yeah. 
but after um, Dr. Graves left, another minister came, and it was it, it was just time for me to 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 move on. And so that's when I applied for the position at Pullen as Minister of Christian Education in 1992. And I and so. Before I came here, I said to myself, I'm never going to another church and not being out. I'm just Ooh. not going to do it. It's too hard. And so uh, in, in 1991 and 92, Pullman Memorial Baptist Church went through this process where they became a welcoming and affirming church. They blessed same gender covenants. They got kicked out of all of the Baptist life they were in. Um, you know, it was a national, it was actually an international news story. They were known all over the place for taking mm -hmm. this action as a Baptist church in the South. Mm -hmm. And so I was interviewing with them during that time when they oh, were wow. making that decision. <laughs> and they never asked me, of course, you can't ask, but they never asked me about my sexuality or what I thought about what they were doing. So then they, they extended the call to me and I was shocked. And, but I, I accepted the call and I, I got here and I thought, well, damn, I've done it again. I've, I'm, I've come to another church and I did, I'm not out. I didn't tell them, you know, and, and so it, you know, it was just like, what, what do you do now? You can't, you just can't. So about, I'd been here maybe three or four months and Late one night, I called the pastor of the church, Mahan Seiler, and I said, I got to talk to you. And he goes, well, you, does that have to happen right now at 11 o'clock at night? And I said, well, no, but soon. And he said, well, let's meet for breakfast. And so we went to breakfast the next morning and I looked at him and I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm gay. And if that's a problem, let's deal with it now. I've only been here three or four months you know, I can leave, but I cannot do this again. And because you're just always waiting on the mm. other shooter. Oh, you're yes. Always waiting yes. for when that person's going to find out and tell the people and then you're yep. going to, you know, and yep. so I'll never forget Mayhem Siler's this godlike person and he has these humongous hands and he reached across the table and he took my hand and he said, Nancy, this church has, has decided on that. You don't have to worry. You're safe here. Oh. And you can be who you are and oh. it's okay. Oh. And it was just like the heaviest weight imaginable mm. was lifted off my shoulders. And in some sense, you know, that's been hard for me to live with in some sense because I went to seminary with so many people who identified as LGBTQIA who were much smarter than I am, whose gifts were so amazing and, and ha they had so much to offer the church and they've never been able to find a place of ministry. Oh. And here I am, I'm in this place where I can be me and, and be a, a minister. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a place of privilege and responsibility. And it's also been a, a place of like sadness around just recognizing 
what the church has missed out on and mm-hmm. lost in their ignorance and in their inability to understand uh, the gospel and how it is one of inclusion and inclusiveness for all of God's children, including LGBTQIA plus people. And so it's, you know, it's all of that's in there. And so, so when that happened, I didn't make a statement. I like, we didn't go to the church and make a statement. Oh, Nancy, you know, Nancy's lesbian, whatever, but I didn't have to hide and Mm -hmm. I could be myself and I Mm -hmm. could, and I wasn't in a relationship at that point. So it wasn't like, you know, um, there was another person that I needed to, to introduce Mm -hmm. that was important in my life. And so, so, you know, just gradually people found out that, of course, oh, oh, (laughs) and it wasn't a big deal. I mean, it was just like, we love Nancy and, Mm -hmm. you know, and so we accept her as our minister. And there was a moment though, I will have to backtrack and say that when it was announced that I would be leaving St. John's in Charlotte and coming to Pullen Memorial in Raleigh. Pullen was in the news daily. I mean, like nationally. The front, the the morning after my last Sunday at St. John's, I had not realized there was a reporter there at St. John's mm. that day. And so the morning after my last Sunday at St. John's, the front page of the Charlotte Observer had a huge picture of me on it. And it said something like, trailblazing woman leaves Charlotte church for Raleigh church or something like that. Well, by this time, everybody knows, you know, and it's calling pulling the gay church. And so, um, and so this, this article hits the paper. Well, I get to work that morning and the church phones at St. John's are ringing off the hook and every national um, TV station, ABC, NBC, CBS, they're all calling the church wanting to interview me. And I'm panicked. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not out. I mean, like, you know, they're jumping to these conclusions and oh, what am I, what in the world am I going to do? And, and then my secretary came in and says, your mother's online, such and such and such. Oh, no. and I'm like, oh my God, I can't talk to my mother. No. I mean, like I wasn't out to my family and I'm like, Oh no. Just, it's all I'm, hit the fan now. <laughs> yeah. And so like I'm hiding in a corner, you know, like and so I call this church member at St. John's who is a good friend who was who was a lawyer and kind of political sense and and he said, uh, don't talk to any of <laughs> them. Don't, you know, and if they catch you uh and they ask you about about it, he says, you know, just just say, look at that tree over there. Isn't that a beautiful tree? Like, <laughs> deflect. In other words, deflect yeah. whatever they have. And so, um, but you know, my, what I found out was that people were called, my mother was a nurse in a pediatrician's office, and people were calling her at work wanting to know if I was gay. Oh my gosh. I'm going to this church that's just done this thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, I'm like, I can't talk about this right now. <laughs> so, um, so it wasn't until, so I, that was in June, late May, early June. I came to pull in the end of June. And so that October of 1992, I went home and came out to my parents. Mm. And, um, 
and so after I had come out to Mayhan and done all that, I went mm-hmm. home and came out to my parents. So, you know, there was that kind of public kind of thing going on. Um, but, you know, the article in the, in the Charlotte Observer kind of hinted at that, that I was gay without mm-hmm. saying that I was gay. Mm-hmm. And so I guess in some sense, there was some coming out. I didn't confirm it, but Mm-hmm. was out there so yeah so how was that to to almost feel like you had to come out to your parents maybe before you were ready because if you hadn't come out you know it may have taken a little bit longer for you to do that so what was that like to know that now I better say something to them so you know the universe has a way of sometimes telling us when we need to be ready mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, sometimes when we're left to our own fears and um, patterns of feeling like we can't take that next step, it's too mm-hmm. hard, it's whatever, the universe will create yep. a scenario to say, mm, it's time. You know, by that time, I was 27, 28 years old. I was an adult for me in my situation. Mm-hmm. personally, where I, I mean, I, I had a sense that, you know, my parents were not going to like this, but they surely wasn't, were not going to say, we don't ever want to see you again. I wasn't dependent on them for any kind of income or, you know, taking care of myself. And so in that sense, there was some safety for me. Uh, but I think it was just kind of, the way things went, mm-hmm. it was the moment of like, yeah, maybe you don't want to do this because it's going to be hard, but it's time to do it. Step up. I mean, you're, yeah. you're 28 years old. Go, go <laughs> face your parents and do the thing <laughs> that you need to do. But, yeah. you know, I say that and I say, and I want to be clear that even some people at 28, 32, 38, to go home and do that is not safe. Mm-hmm. So like, it's that's not a me saying that about my situation yeah in no way is saying that's what anyone else should do and I want to be really clear about that and it doesn't matter how old you are the fear of facing your parents whether you think they're going to be welcoming to you and still loving you nobody ever knows until it's actually out there and if you have any inkling I mean I wrote a letter I I was not going to be standing in front of them. I knew better. And so I wrote a letter and um, it started out at six pages before I could say the word gay. And then I thought I might need to own that a little bit quicker than page six (laughs) (laughs) in the whole letter. It's like, I just get rambling and rambling, (laughs) avoiding that word. (laughs) That's funny. That's hilarious. So, So, yeah. yeah. And, and were they, were they loving and, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, um, my dad, my dad's a man of such deep faith. And, you know, he just, he looked at me and he said, you know, I kind of figured, he said, but this is between, he says, I don't understand, but this is between you and God and you've got to work that out. And I don't have any, you know, I, there's nothing yeah. I can say about it. Yeah. And my mother, you know, she kind of fell apart, hysterical. Oh, what did I do wrong? Oh, if I'd have done this, blah, 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 blah. And I finally just kind of grabbed her and I looked at her and I said, this is not about you. It's about me. 
And so you need to straighten up. I mean, she's a nurse. She should know, you know. Yeah. But like, I'm like, it's pull it together. It's not about you. It's about me. And she stopped. And that was it. I mean, we just, you know, we went on. We didn't talk much more about it. There was nothing else said, but we have gone on and they've accepted um, the people in my life. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not, to, to say it's not an issue would not be accurate. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, but, but their friends know, I mean, well, pretty much most people in North Carolina, if they know me, they know I'm gay. <laughs> it's hard to hide now. Like, yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah you're, so, you're kind of you out know, there. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of out there. But like, you know, I'm asked to go home to do funerals for people and my family. Mm. And so everybody knows, I mean, Carla goes, my wife goes with me. And um, so it's not like, you know, they don't, they're accepting and they know this is who I am and this is the way it's going to be. But like, um, you know, had they wished it would have been different, probably. I mean, I don't yeah. know. We don't talk about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they, they accept without being able to resign their faith with how you resign your faith. So right. you're on opposite right. sides of understanding of the, right. of the whole right. thing. Yeah. Right. But you know, it's funny. I've never been asked to go back to my home church to preach. <laughs> I've never been, I've done funerals in that church. I've done funerals and weddings in that church, but uh-huh. I've never been invited back to preach. And my alma mater, Gardner Webb, it was Gardner Webb College when I was there, Gardner Webb University now. I've never been invited back to Gardner <laughs> Webb to, to do anything, which is mm-hmm. fine. So, you know, it's, it's like, you can't ignore it, but at the same time, you can, you can ignore it. I mean, like, yeah, everybody knows, but we're just not going to deal with that. See, and that's the thing that I don't think people understand that aren't gay. They think that, that it's a personal choice and you just do what you want and nobody else has to know about it. Well, excuse me, if I'm going to exist in the world, you know, everybody else gets to make connections. Everybody else gets to be like go That's back right. to Gardner Webb and you know, you have all of these awards and yet they're not going to have you come back and do something important because you're gay, just because you're gay, not because That's you right. didn't do well in seminary, not because right. you're not an amazing person, just that one little thing. That's only one part of who we are, you know? Yeah. If, if I weren't gay, um, you know, they might actually be excited that I'm an alum of the religion department. Yeah, <laughs> or, exactly. Or an alum of the college, but because I'm gay, like, Probably yeah. Not. Yeah. Wow. And it's, it's just, it blows my mind. Does it blow yours? It blows my mind that as far as we've come, we are still so behind in yeah. so many ways in, in yeah. getting that inclusivity together in the church and just in this nation, like just everywhere. Yeah. And, and but there's so much hope in that, you know, I was reading a, a poll recently that maybe it was done either at Meredith College or Elon College, I can't remember, um, that, you know, in North Carolina, the, um, the percentage of people who think gay marriage is a decided issue and have no problem with it 
I think it was like 63% of North Carolinians. I mean, like, and so that's pretty significant given that it hasn't been that many years ago that North Carolina voted for Amendment 1. Yeah. You know, and like, and then when marriage equality became the law of the land in 2014, uh, like that shift from then until now, it's like, yeah, I mean, we're past that. I mean, like, in some sense, we're past the marriage question, but in another sense, like, there are parts of North Carolina that are still unsafe for gay people to oh, be out in. I mean, absolutely. Like, and Absolutely. so it's 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 hard to figure out really, and 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 I do think that what fuels that the uh, the hate around uh, LGBTQI people is mostly the religious right. Uh huh. Um, yep. And you you know I mean you just have to call that out for what it is. We can't like be skating around that and saying, but it's it's in these churches these very fundamentalist churches mm-hmm. in, in North Carolina where these preachers are, you know, preaching this hate uh, and this nationalism around that. Yes. That keeps those flames going. And if my sense is if, if that would stop in our churches, if our Christian churches would truly follow the gospel, um, North Carolina would be a much safer, welcoming, inclusive state than it is. And that's a sad, sad, sad commentary on the Christian church, Mm -hmm. not only in North Carolina, but in America right now. Amen. That's right. That's right. And, and to say you're Christian and that you're following Christ, it has no, no resemblance of what Christ did. And how, Correct. how he walked this earth. Correct. It's, it's amazing to me still. <laughs> but when you've got, when you've got a man who is going to be running for the next governor of North Carolina, mm. going into churches all across our state, mm-hmm. calling gay people dogs, mm. it's a, it's a significant mm. issue. And, you know, I want to say on this podcast to, to the people listening, we, we have to be out there speaking out on this if we're in a position to do that. Mm-hmm. If you were in a position mm-hmm. as an LGBTQIA person to where you can be out in your community, standing up, speaking out against these kinds of persons running for higher office, it's our responsibility and our privilege to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's been frustrating a little bit. And, and now I'm going to preach just a moment to, to my people, the gay community. Yep. You know, trying to organize here in Raleigh to go to the lieutenant governor's place here. I'm, I'm going to call him by name, but to go to the mm-hmm. lieutenant governor's office here and protest these things that he is saying mm-hmm. in churches and in schools. Our community, our gay community, didn't come out for those protests. Mm. I mean, and so, like, we've got to really, it's important to have advocates, but at some point, we got to stand up for ourselves. Yep. And yep. we've got to fight these policies and these 
and the people who would bring these policies into our churches and our classrooms and our lives and our homes, mm-hmm. we've got to we've got to show that we care. Mm-hmm. And if we don't care, how can we expect others mm-hmm. to care? And you know, we've got to be out there fighting not only for our rights, but it is this fusion movement of, you know, we've got to be fighting for women's rights and the right to vote and the right for health care for all yes, people yes. and like we we don't get to pick and choose we like we're we have to stand up for justice and equality for all people and that includes ourselves yes I mean, like so there's enough of that well i'm glad you said that though because you know even in our community in 2019 i was a part of the chamber of commerce and and we were all as business owners if we wanted to be in the christmas parade then we got to you know be in the christmas parade and walk or whatever and so i had a little a very small lgbtqia group running in 2019 and i still do but it's even smaller now we decided we were going to be in the christmas parade and so i submitted my thing and um and they said they might not let you do it and i said as a member of the chamber of commerce and we are all allowed to sign up to be in the christmas parade i said i dare them to deny me i dare them because i'm ready (laughs) and sure enough they accepted our thing and so i had this big banner made lgbtqia you know and allies and and several of our members were afraid to walk in the parade because they were afraid that they would be hurt. And so we had to pay extra for a car uh, for one person who was not able to walk, but still wanted to be there to represent. And so we decorated this car and, and the, another person got in the car who could walk, but was afraid to walk. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we walked in the Christmas parade and we had several members that, that were just walking, but scared to death, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, um, and when we had a pride mass, our, our priest at the uh, church here in Ashboro offered our group to have a pride mass this year. And there were several members that would not show up because it was an outdoor chapel. And the reason we did the outdoor chapel was that some of the people would not want to come to church. They don't go to church anymore and they refuse to come into a church. And so we had it outside and people were afraid to come because they thought we'd have a drive-by shooting. Now, you have yeah. to really know where this church is to find it. It's kind of yeah. secluded anyway. <laughs> so yeah. I thought that's crazy that if somebody would really have to know where we are, <laughs> even though yeah. you can follow directions, I guess. But it was so sad to me that that fear of, of being killed, of being shot, of being, you know, targeted is it's so, real. so real. And it is real. And I know that it's real. And I know that it's risky for yeah. us to stand up. But just like every other group has had to stand up in the past, nothing changes when we sit and be quiet. Yeah, let me say this. So um, having that car in the parade Mm -hmm. probably saved a 13-year-old's life Mm -hmm. because there was probably a 13-year-old, male or female, standing on the side of the road of that parade Mm -hmm. who is struggling with their gender identity Mm -hmm. and they saw that car Mm -hmm. and they didn't feel as isolated or alone Mm -hmm. as they did before that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you never know how that one thing Mm -hmm. is just enough to get that kid 
through that stage of their life to the next, mm. to find the next thing that's going to mm-hmm. help them. Right. And so, you know, we never know who's watching these small acts that we mm-hmm. do that it's just enough to give them what they need to mm-hmm. literally save their lives. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for those of us who are older, mm-hmm. it's not too much to risk mm-hmm. to be there for the, the younger generation that's coming after us. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, I know how important that was for me mm-hmm. as a, as a young person, as a teenager, um, to have something or someone that affirmed, I'm not the only one mm-hmm. who's struggling with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and sometimes all you need is just that little bit mm-hmm. that it, it might be, you know, wearing a gay pride bracelet that mm-hmm. you're sitting at a restaurant and somebody looks over and sees that on I me. Mean, so these things are not insignificant. That's right. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. When we were walking in the parade, um, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, <laughs> this kid ran into the street and grabbed my arm. And I looked at because it scared the crap out of me. I can tell you that because <laughs> we had been so heightened on security, you know, and she uh-huh. grabbed my arm and she said, I'm coming out. And I said, right here. as i'm scanning her for knives or any other thing that she might have with her and she said yes and i don't care who knows and i said okay well congratulations and she said yes and she walked with my arm all through the parade waving at people and she said i'm gay i'm gay and i'm like (laughs) that's wild lord help yeah i mean you know (laughs) there's there's a story there it is i mean yep yeah yep so we do have to be bold. So as you were coming through and you, you knew in the fifth grade, well, God bless you. Um, <laughs> I was like, you know, 25 years later than you <laughs> before I figured it out. Everybody knew before I did. Uh, <laughs> um, how did you sustain yourself being in the Baptist church and growing up in church and knowing that about yourself? And how did you sustain yourself all the way up to to that day with those beautiful skies and and feeling that yeah so I think you know um I was fortunate to have a father who um was a very loving man deeply religious in in ways that we don't share now but um we were always at church dad and I and so faith was a huge piece Mm -hmm. I think for me and my dad so I was a tomboy. I mean, you know, and mm-hmm. so my dad supporting me, always telling me I could be anything I wanted to be, uh, no, very little judgment, no judgment really coming from him. There was that safety in that. Mm-hmm. Also, by the time I was in probably sixth or seventh grade, I started going to basketball camp, summer basketball camp at Gardner Webb. And because I I lived right there and my dad was friends with the basketball coach. And so I, I would work the concession stand at the boys uh, weeks. And then I got to go free to the girl week of basketball camp. That was probably the first place where 
I was knew there were other people like me mm-hmm. that, um, and so being in that kind of environment where there were older, uh, older women who were adults that were accepting and affirming and because they themselves were, I mean, nobody talked about it. It wasn't mm-hmm. like anybody was out, but there was a knowing, I mean, we know in our own community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that was very sustaining for me. Um, but, you know, again, just church. I mean, um, I grew up Baptist, but again, I will say there was enough sin preached about enough guilt and all of that, but there was also a lot of love preached. I guess I was just naive enough to believe in the love more than the hate. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that works. I don't know why. Uh, and, and don't hear me wrong. I, I, you know, for a long time, shame was a big, mm-hmm. big thing that I got from the faith. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. just like we could never be good enough. You can't ever measure up to this person in Christ that you're supposed to be. But I think love was mentioned and taught enough to where I would hang on to that. I mean, there were there were years, literally years, when every morning when I would wake up, the first thing I would have to tell myself is, God really does love you. I mean, mm-hmm. like, you have to write the narrative yourself because mm-hmm. at that time in, in the world and in when I was growing up, you weren't going to get those messages anywhere else Mm-mm. as a, as a gay person. Mm-hmm. So you had to, like, I had to tell myself that. And, mm-hmm. and I can't imagine, honestly, I, and this is not a, this is not a judgment on anybody, but I honestly don't know what I would have done if, if I didn't have a faith, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, my faith has been what has sustained me mm-hmm. in all of life mm-hmm. and, and in this piece of my life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not always been easy. It's been a struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the, the thing about wondering if God loves me and not being good enough and all that doesn't have anything to do with being gay half the time. It's mm-hmm. all the other things that mm-hmm. <laughs> struggle with in life. And so, but I just, I think that faith and really centering my belief in a God of love. Mm-hmm. So let me tell this story real, real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first year of seminary, uh, I had this professor, Bob Persky, and he taught Christian education classes. And so in the first class, we had to write a paper on our presuppositions, what, what we believe. And so I wrote mine. And he handed my paper back to me and in and, and a red pen, the only thing he had written on the back of my paper was, who is this zapping God you serve? Please come see me and let me introduce you to a God of love. And so that started a relationship with Dr. Persky that would be lifelong for as long as he was alive. I became his grader in seminary, his um I, I, I graded and taught some for him in his classes and it was just a, a beautiful, but, but I had that, I had that, had that sense of growing up that, that God was this zapping God that if, you know, um, if I wasn't perfect or, or good enough or right, that, that God would zap mm-hmm. send me to hell or something. Yep, yep. And so, 
you know, that at that moment when Dr. Percy said, let me introduce you to this God of love, I think I had heard enough about that such that I was ready for him to take me on that journey mm-hmm. and to go on that journey. And so that those were the years when, you know, I would wake up and say, God really does love you. Mm. You are loved. God loves you. And, um, and just, you, you know, sometimes Richard Rohr says, uh, we don't, um, think our way into a new way of being, we act our way into a new way of thinking. And so that action of, of waking up and telling myself, Mm. you are love, that began to change my thinking. And Mm -hmm. so like, um, you know, sometimes I think we have to, to, to act, just go ahead and, and act whether we can fully believe it in that moment, Mm-hmm. But we live as though we believe it. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes, it can become real for us. Yes. Well said. Well said. Yeah, I was very, I was very happy when I found out that the word sin does not mean wretched, but, <laughs> but, but it really means <laughs> that you miss the mark. And I thought, because, you know, because I, we all learned that we were an abomination to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I am in, um, I didn't, I don't like being called a sinner. You know, it just irritates the crap out of me when somebody says, cause I've, I've worked long and hard to get past the shame and to get to a place where I can love myself. And then I found out just this year, how sad this past, I guess, past two years, maybe that it really means miss the mark and that you're not really wretched and it has yeah. nothing to do with your character or who you are or how much God loves you. It's just, you miss the mark. And I'm like, wow. Relief. Yeah. And I think <laughs> this is, this is one of the biggest abuses of Christianity mm-hmm. is the way in which we have defined sin as being individual. Whereas mm-hmm. in the, in the gospel text and what Jesus, the sin that Jesus was fighting against was, was, is, and what was, and continues to be systemic sin. It's the sin of corporate greed. It's the sin of institutions. It's the sin of racism. It's the sin of, of, of these larger ills of society. Jesus really wasn't that interested in, in like preaching a gospel of personal salvation. Mm-hmm. He cared about people, obviously. Those are the stories in our text as well. But it was always from a place of love, not condemnation, not mm-hmm. judgment. It was, it was from a place of wanting people to be whole and wanting them healed. The real sin that he went after uh, in, in his day and time and in his, his ministry and message were these sins of, of communal and corporate sins of society that oppressed people and marginalized people. And, and so, you know, the, 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 the real abuse of, of how Christianity has interpreted that to be all about personal sin and personal salvation is, is, is just one of the greatest tragedies mm-hmm. of, of, of Western Christian theology that has been handed down to us that, that is and so mm-hmm. like you know um we we have to understand that and really look at you know what what was jesus teaching what right. was his message and mm-hmm. and it wasn't you know 
it, it was against the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. It That's was right. against the, the, the abuse of power mm-hmm. and the way that abuse of power um, uh, really oppressed people mm-hmm. and particularly poor people. Yeah. And so, you know, this whole thing about personal sin and personal salvation, I just don't give that a lot of, mm-hmm. I just don't give that a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Good for not, you. not to say we're not all sinners. We are, but like, okay, so what? I mean, we're human beings. I mean, that's right. I, you know, I would replace sinner with humanity. I mean, like we are both human and we are divine. And sometimes in our humanity, we don't make good decisions. Okay. So that's how we were created. Surely God understands that. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yay. You. (laughs) And from the back pew, they say, amen. (laughs) Oh, this has been such a great conversation with you. I'm so glad you said yes to be a guest. That's been awesome. Oh, yes. So as our, as, as we close, if there's anything else that you haven't said that you really want to say, feel free to, to, go in that direction? What I would say to people who are struggling, who are out there and trying to reconcile Mm -hmm. uh, their authenticity with their faith and who they are, um, find find a community. Try to find a community Mm -hmm. where you can be supported, that's safe, um, that will care about you and allow you to be yourself. And I, and I know that's not always easy uh, given all the different places we live, mm-hmm. but today with technology and Zoom and mm-hmm. you know these kinds of things, it's more accessible than it's ever been. Yes. You can't be isolated. You can't make this journey alone. We're, we're meant to be in community. We're created mm-hmm. to be in community with one another. And so, you know, try to reach out. And Mm -hmm. if you don't know where to start, call me, call Mm -hmm. Mitch, call somebody and reach out uh, and we'll help you Mm -hmm. find that community. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that God loves you because of who you are, not Mm -hmm. instead of who you are. Mm -hmm. God created you in all the diversity and complexity that human beings are. And so There's no right or wrong as long as you are establishing and being a part of and nurturing justice-loving relationships. Mm. Um, And so God doesn't care about who we love or how we love. God cares that that love is just and compassionate and loving. Mm -hmm. And so... God will celebrate that. God does celebrate that. And so you don't, you know, don't apologize for who you are. God created you to be just the person you are. Mm -hmm. And so you are loved. You are loved by God. And, um, you know, the, the place where God becomes disappointed with us is when we don't act with kindness and compassion mm-hmm. and out of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we're not going to mess up some, but if our heart 
if our heart is 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 turned toward love and compassion and justice that's what matters and so mm-hmm. don't I mean you know if if you are in a church where Sunday after Sunday you're having to sit in a pew and listen to somebody beat you down right. because you're gay get out of that church absolutely don't go uh and and you know we'll we'll work to try to help you find a community where you're not having to be here that mm-hmm. constantly all the time mm-hmm. and because it's just not healthy right and um, always just be safe mm-hmm. just be safe mm-hmm. what a great way to end that yes thank you i really appreciate you showing up for this today and i appreciate you working through the technology <laughs> i'm sorry about that no problem it's on my end i'm sorry well you know who knows but i appreciate yeah. you hanging in there with it and we'll we'll the message still came through and it'll be yeah. fine And I want to thank you listeners for coming back each week, supporting, sharing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to see more information and links to connect with Reverend Nancy, go to the Gay With God show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. If you are listening to this podcast and are questioning whether you can be gay and be in a relationship with the God of your understanding, if you identify as LGBTQIA+, or not even sure if you're gay, God has always been within you. Even when you didn't know it, you have always been gay with God. Check out our Facebook group, Gay with God, where we do a monthly Zoom entitled My Faith Journey. And if you need support to help you coming out and your faith journey, go to the show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. Scroll all the way down to the bottom and see how to connect with me. Thank you, everybody. Stay tuned and see how, so that you can see how you can join the Gay with God community. And I love you. See you next week. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.